Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, new Packers head coach Matt LaFleur is in the process of putting together his coaching staff for the 2019 season. I know there are some news and names and rumors and things floating around out there with regards to offensive coordinator and special teams coordinator. Nothing in that regard has been officially announced by the Packers, so we're going to have to save those conversations for another show. But we do know that it is official. Mike Pettin will be back as defensive coordinator for Matt LaFleur. It will be Pettin's second season as defensive coordinator. And I think you and I, and certainly anybody following this, sensed that if the Packers went with an offensive-minded head coach, so to speak, that the possibility of Pettin staying to run this defense was pretty strong, and that is how this has worked out. Yeah, I don't want to call it a no-brainer, but I, I just think you know the Packers, this is going to be a big offseason of change. Uh, you're going to see it in multiple phases on multiple different positions. If there was one silver lining to what was a kind of a difficult season for them, I felt it was Pettin. I felt it was uh, the way that that defense performed in the face of injuries and the way he was able to make playmakers emerge in that defense at times in which, if you looked at it on paper, you would say there weren't enough of them due to injuries and some other things. Right. So uh, the thing that stood out to me the most in the decision to do this is that if you go back and look at it, um, one of the things that stood out to me as soon as Matt LaFleur was named the head coach of the Packers, you look at Tennessee and the fact that Marcus Mariota now is on to, I believe is it's his fourth or fifth offensive coordinator now uh, in his right. time in the NFL. Yeah, You want to be able to, if, if things, if you like what you're seeing, if the product is what it is, you want to be able to have consistency there. And in LaFleur's case, it's a little bit different because he was going up and do a bigger job. But in the Packers' case, I just think that there was something to be said for having a name, having a face, and having a vision. So you're not completely overhauling the whole grand scheme of things. Mike Pettin's return allows you to do that. I'll be honest with you, Mike, uh, seeing what they were able to do, I don't care about total defense. I don't care about the sacks, even though there was a bunch of them last year. The number one thing that sold me on Mike Pett and his scheme last season was the fact that you didn't see them having to take timeouts for 12 men on the field. You didn't see them getting gashed for big plays because of communication breakdowns. Yep. The ability of Pettin to teach his scheme, and as he said from the beginning, keep it likable and learnable, I think is one of the biggest credits he can have. Yes, there weren't enough takeaways. That's something they want to change in 2019. But the fact that they didn't have those huge breakdowns that a lot of times you see, not just here, but I mean anywhere in the NFL when you have a ton of injuries, I think speaks to Pettin. I think it speaks to his program, and it makes it deserving for him to get a second shot here in Green Bay. Yeah, I, I certainly want to see Mike Pettin try to continue and perhaps finish what he started here, which I think is, is a climb, is a rise of the Packers' defense, hopefully up into uh, the top half, if not the top third of the league. Obviously, there's there was a long way to go when the day he walked in the door, but I am with you. I was going to say exactly the same thing. If there's one thing to me that I noticed with this defense that I think bodes really well moving forward is the lack of the communication breakdowns, just as you put it. Because when I look back at the season, I remember late in the year, the game against the New York Jets, there was a mix-up in coverage and Robbie Anderson's wide open down the field for a 40-yard touchdown. 
But I remember that play because it was one of the only times that happened all season long. And in past years, we just we saw that happen too often. Right. And the fact that with the number of young players that the Packers have on defense and it was a new system being brought in and we actually saw a decrease in those communication issues and whatnot, I think that really speaks to what Petten was able to accomplish. Now, obviously, you hope for better health. You hope for better continuity just in terms of who's out there playing every week and Dom Capers dealt with some of those same challenges over a number of years but with the improvements that we saw and the number of young players that you don't you really don't want to have to throw a whole nother defensive system at them again right, right away I think this this makes the most sense for the Packers and Petten earned the opportunity to try to see this through and see if he can continue that climb up the rankings. So During to speak. the uh, final locker room the Packers had about two weeks ago now, I was talking with Jair Alexander about this and about the young, the young nucleus and, and what he sees in this team. And one of the things that he said is, you know, they get pelted constantly with the questions about turnovers and takeaways, and there just wasn't enough of them this past year. But he said, you know, as, as these guys get more comfortable on the back end, the pass rushers, you know, get a little bit more pressure. Uh, the possibilities are there for this defense to take the ball away when you when you can disrupt the quarterback a little bit. They have the ball hawks there in place to be able to do it. I think the issue for the Packers this season, in addition to inconsistency, I'm not going to paint it all as just, well, there are just too many injuries. Right. I mean, you, you still need to work through it, but the, you do look at what that final IR looked like at the end of the year, and, and again, it's always a big if because you're not going to keep everybody healthy, but when you lose your starting three defensive linemen, you lose Kevin King, you deal with some of the injuries they've had to deal with at multiple positions, that's what puts you in these positions where you're trying to stem the tide, so to speak. So I really do believe, I mean, if you, you know, you saw Kyler Fackler break out, you saw Kenny Clark have a phenomenal season before he his ended prematurely. There is playmakers. There are playmakers in this defense. If you can keep enough of them healthy along with the system of defense that Penton is teaching, I think there's a really good reason to believe that this cannot – I'm not going to put it out there as top 10 defense anymore, but this can be one of the biggest disrupting units in the NFL. Well, and there will be an opportunity, whether you're talking free agency or the draft, as we talked about three picks in the top 45 of the draft. We'll see what happens in free agency. There's an opportunity to add another playmaker yeah. or two to this to this defense and I'll go back to something that I talked about on this show many times you and I you and I discussed it a lot I think we saw the the tip of the iceberg so to speak as to what this Packers defense can be with Mike Pettin as the coordinator and his system and his scheme when Jair Alexander and Kevin King were your two right. corners your your two top cover corners on the field at the same time now that just didn't happen enough because King only played whatever it was, six or seven games, and even a couple games he played was when Alexander was missing. So they were really only on the field together, I think, for four games right. out of 16, which is uh, is way too few, obviously. But in those moments, I mean, the first the first half, first three quarters, week two against the Minnesota Vikings and, and all the, the weapons, you know, Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs and Kirk Cousins, their new quarterback, and everything that they brought to Lambeau Field right. that day – they didn't start rolling until the fourth quarter when King was out and the Packers were kind of scrambling a little bit defensively to make up for it. The first half in Los Angeles against that Rams offense, 
when King and Alexander were on the field together to, to help cover those wide receivers, that was some of the best defense we saw from the Packers all season long. Yeah. I think I, I think that's the starting point, so to speak, in terms of the personnel. If those two guys are out there and then you get those other guys healthy, you know, your Daniels and your Kenny Clark and, and you know, Fackrell continues to do what he's doing, I think there's a lot of possibilities here with some more continued upgrades in personnel, whether it be through free agency or the draft. Yeah, and, and the other thing that stands out to me too you know, we don't want to ever, you know, look at trying to project what a lineup's going to be because as we see, <laughs> you know, that can change very quickly yeah, in the it's NFL. It's a fool's errand, I think. But the one, the one, I, the heart was in the right place this season, though. When you look at how they had stocked their cornerbacks, how they had stocked their safeties, even to some regards, how they had stocked the defensive line. I, I, I bring it up constantly that, you know, Dean Lowry and Kyler Fackrell weren't playing very much through the first month of the season. They had to basically be every down players down the stretch. They have some decisions to make with how they want to handle their outside pass rush. The biggest one of those being Clay Matthews being an unrestricted free agent. Right. You got to settle that. You got to figure out what the future is there. And I, I've brought it up a numerous amount of times now. I think one guy that doesn't get enough credit for how things did play out was Bashad Breeland. When you look at the injury that he had, I even threw him out there during one of our final shows as a comeback of the year candidate because mm -hmm. of the injury he had and to come back the way he did and play on a short schedule. Yeah. I think it said a lot about him, and honestly, I learned a lot about his versatility. Uh, I, I didn't know he could play, you know, slot cornerback. I think in in a perfect world, you want him on the boundary, but he's versatile enough that he basically can play all six spots in the secondary if you need him to. Again, another unrestricted free agent. Dominoes have to fall there, but you know, seeing a guy like that back too in the equation. I think really could go a long way for a secondary that has a lot of potential when you can get everybody on the field, at least most of them at the same time. Yeah, and I don't mean to discount Breland when I focus so much on Alexander and King, but, but they're the I, ones but, under contract. But yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Breland is a is an unrestricted free agent, and we'll see what happens there. But I'm going to make a baseball analogy for you here, Wes, because you know you look at you look at a baseball team heading into a new season. You're looking at that starting rotation, right? right? If you've got if you've got a couple of really solid starting pitchers, there's a big difference between those guys being, say, your two and three starting pitchers versus if they're your three and four. Right. You know, in terms in terms of the order. I kind of look at Breland in the same way, in the sense that when you had Alexander and King and Bashad Breland was like your number three corner, right. wow, like what a group you have. Absolutely. But you take one of those three out of the equation and the and the rotation changes and everybody gets pushed up into a into another role then all of a sudden it doesn't look quite as good as it did before so i think it you know i think king and alexander are the starting points at cornerback and then you build the depth whether that's you know josh jackson hopefully takes a, a leap forward in his second year maybe bashad breeland comes back we'll see what the draft and free agency have in store tremon williams is under contract yep. for another year and we know he can play anywhere as well so a lot of possibilities here and, and a lot of time to get it figured yeah, out. Yeah, and Tony Brown ended up playing quite a bit, too, the undrafted rookie out of Alabama. So right. probably no position, I think, on the roster that has as much returning players. Uh, probably has more intrigue right now than cornerback because it really is going to be up to Brian Gutekunst and obviously Matt LaFleur and, and Mike Pettin to figure out what they need and what they want to bring in this offseason because there's a lot of guys there. But again, as we've learned, when you're playing, especially the way that that Petten plays with as many six defensive back packages with that hybrid linebacker role, 
you have to have guys there, and, and that's going to be a big thing, making sure that they can keep the cupboard stocked. Yeah, well, not to get too far off track, but we saw the Los Angeles Chargers just a week ago win a playoff game yeah. playing basically seven defensive backs as right. a package for pretty much the entire game against Baltimore and, and Lamar Jackson as the mobile quarterback. So you just uh, you never know where this game is going to go and what you're going to be called on to do from a schematic standpoint and and the Packers have to build their depth to be able to respond and keep in mind too Mike I mean the Packers opened the season with a seven defensive back package against the Bears I mean that was almost (laughs) their base defense it caught us all caught me by surprise that they ended up going that way so yeah if if you have the bodies there Mike Pettin said he's not afraid to go a little light if it means that it's going to you know work to the best of the Packers game plan yeah all right well uh before we get to some other topics here Wes the Green Bay Packers get ready for game day with the powerful noise-canceling technology of Bose QuietComfort 35 Headphones 2. Learn more at www.bose.com Packers. Bose, the official headphones of the Green Bay Packers. And at home or here in the stands, we all know that Green Bay fans give it their all, and that takes a lot of energy. So grab a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Packers fans everywhere. Try the delicious classic chicken noodle soup. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers. We should almost be due for a new pair of Bose headphones, I would think. We've had these for almost three seasons. Yeah. I was really excited when we started doing the show, you know, now almost three years ago. We got the noise-canceling ones, but they weren't in the right color. So Marvin went down to the store, bought us some other ones, but they aren't the noise-canceling ones. Yeah. I like the noise-canceling ones. Yeah, those, yeah, they, they uh... You gotta make that happen they, in 2019. They put, you, they put you in the zone. We get, we get a lot more of the, uh... The, the West Hod analogies to youth sports and everything when you got the noise canceling. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. we got to work on that. That's okay. the big goal. That's the uh, insider or inbox slash Packers unscripted goal for 2019, <laughs> get right. noise-canceling headphones. All right, we'll be on that with, uh, with our, our uh, relationship with Bose. <laughs> um, NFL playoffs, Wes, it is down to the Final Four. I know it's not always talked final about countdown. in those terms, but conference championship games coming up this weekend and this past weekend the divisional round not a lot of down to the wire drama really only the last game of the four the eagles against the saints was the one that came right down to the end but these four teams rams and saints patriots and chiefs all very impressive in their own right last weekend and i think in a lot of ways and it doesn't always work out this way in fact it often doesn't but I think in a lot of ways, if you had if you had polled the vast majority of NFL fans like right after Halloween, about the midway point right. of the season, and said, okay, who do you think are the four teams that are going to be the last four standing on championship weekend playing for those conference titles? I think these four would have gotten the most votes. And, you know, they've held up. They've done it over the long haul. They put together impressive performances in the divisional round, and here they are. You know what I like about this? I'm glad you used the Final Four analogy because this year in particular – does remind me a lot of an NCAA tournament where you've had every once in a while you get the one and two seeds that just make the run. And that's why I love the playoffs because everyone goes over the top about, well, if the six and five win, does that mean there's no advantage to the buys? No, I mean, I think all four of these teams proved last week what the advantage is with having that that week off and then having the home field advantage. No question. But much like the NCAA tournament, each all these four teams bring something different to the table. Now, the common thread between most of them is offense and a lot of it. 
Uh, I think it's going to be really exciting to watch the you know the Rams play on that fast track. And I believe I believe this is the first time that the top four scoring offenses in the league have all advanced yeah. to this stage as the last four teams standing. So it, it's interesting from that standpoint. And then you look at the Rams and Chiefs. I mean, they gave up a ton of yards this year too defensively. Yeah. So seeing how a team like the Saints that's that's very that's more balanced, probably the most balanced out of all these teams in the playoffs right now. Uh, they also had to play the most knockdown dragout game of last week, uh, mm -hmm. having to kind of hold their breath there until the final moments against the Eagles. So seeing if they can prevail against that that enigma that is the Rams offense is going to be interesting. And then honestly, let's look at the Kansas City and New England. I mean, they're going to say, I, I wrote about this in Inbox, they're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes, they're going to talk about you know the old war horse and, and Tom Brady. Yeah, the potential passing of the torch and all yeah. that. We're going to hear about that certainly all week long. Realistically, I think, you remember you always do your like five key you know, performances to watch and those kind of matchups. I think there's only one in this game. I think it's whether or not Kansas City can stop New New England's offense. I yeah. think that's as I think it goes the, as far as that. The way New England's offense took the field on Sunday against the Chargers, a Chargers defense that had put up some, you know, some really really good outings, especially with what they did against Baltimore and Lamar Jackson for the first three plus quarters in that opening round game. For New England to take the field against the Chargers and just right down the field four mm -hmm. straight times, four touchdowns, they had 28 points on the board before you can blink. It was it was just like, wow. It sucked, know? too. I mean, excuse my language, yeah. but it was like, I really wanted that to be I a know, good game. I know. Wanted, I wanted that to be I wanted that to be a good game as well. And I, We had talked about kind of pulling a little bit for Phillip Rivers mm -hmm. to see if he could get to a Super Bowl for the first time. And just give me boy, some that, drama, yeah, you know? There was, uh, there yeah, was none. Th that, uh, the, the Patriots just... Uh, um, boy, they, they, they just went out and steamrolled them. But much like what happened with that game between New Orleans and Philadelphia the first time around, you saw the adjustments the Eagles made in that second matchup and, and what they were able to do to keep that thing close. I go back to that, uh, what was a week six matchup between New England and Kansas City. If you play that particular game 25 times, I guarantee you at least 20 of them, New England's putting up 40 points. Yeah. It's just the way that Kansas City was playing that day, and it was the way that the Patriots were able to move the ball. That's the key right now the the Chiefs got gashed for yards this season but yeah. they were but they were situationally solid can you do that now against one of the best to ever do it that's my storyline and if you can wow I mean we talked so much about Breeze and Rivers but what about if Andy Reid can get back to a Super Bowl I mean that that would be uh that'd be pretty special too a lot of things to follow for sure yeah yeah and I'll say this, they're talking about a, an Arctic blast hitting uh, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City this weekend. That game is going to be played at night. It's the second yeah. of the, the two championship games. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Tom Brady, and nothing that that guy does with the spotlight as bright as it is will ever surprise me. But in a game like this, when you're talking about potential Arctic cold, I think the advantage shifts to the younger quarterback. Oh, sure. You know, and yeah. and that's you know this this really cold weather thing that could be moving through uh, the Midwest this weekend could really play to Kansas City's advantage. Let's be honest too, Michael. Especially watching that game last weekend, Kansas City more than any other team in the playoffs right now is built to win in the cold. Is built to win in you know December and January football. What they've been doing with Damian Williams, you know, since the whole Kareem Hunt ordeal, they found a real diamond in the rough here. And Williams, and honestly, to be per you know, be perfectly honest with you, he fits this offense better than Hunt ever did. I'm not saying he's <laughs> as explosive as an athlete, but I mean, in terms of his duality, there's a lot there that he brings to the table. Yeah, they have underneath concepts. They can beat you in a multitude of ways with Hill. 
this you're right. You're absolutely right. If if the you know Kansas City is is looking to the gods for you know the football gods for some help here, this does seem like the kind of thing that could definitely aid them in this matchup. This this round two with uh, the Patriots. Yeah. Well, looking at the NFC, this is a round two as well. We saw these two teams in New Orleans in the regular season, the Rams and the Saints. The Saints had gotten ahead by 20 plus points. The Rams made this huge rally in the second half, came all the way back, and that game ended up coming right down to the wire. But I'm just I'm gonna have to stick with what I've been saying all along, which is I just it's so hard for me to see a team going into the Superdome and beating the Saints in the playoffs in that building. And the fact that the Eagles couldn't do it when they were spotted a 14 nothing lead, yeah. they couldn't they didn't score the rest of the game. And, and they had the ball and the game to win. Yeah. They had they had the ball and had the chance. And when Foles got him across midfield there, I thought, okay, well maybe the Foles magic is just gonna continue. Here it is. And then irony of all ironies for for as in my opinion, as hesitant as Foles seemed after the first interception by Lattimore, which was really the moment that turned the game right. in the first half, he, he seemed hesitant, not as confident in his throws. One of the most confident throws he made the entire second half was right there for Alshon Jeffrey, and unfortunately Jeffrey, who apparently was playing with broken ribs, tip your hat to the guy, but the ball goes through his hands and it goes right to Lattimore, you know, the, the perfect deflection, so to speak. Um, and he's able to make the grab for his second interception, and uh, and the Saints are moving on. The thing that's interesting about this matchup, though, you can take, you know, the, the biggest thing there is going to be the home field advantage. It's going to be that crowd. They're going to be energized. They're going to be excited. Hey, Drew Brees is 40 years old. This is awesome. This is a team, though, with the Rams that is also built for these conditions. They're probably better built for the Superdome than they are playing in the Coliseum right yep. now. So to see exactly how Jared Goff in that setting with that offense, with those weapons, can respond there, I think it's going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Well, with what the Rams did on the ground to a really good run defense in the Dallas Cowboys, a run defense that shut down the number one rushing offense in the league in the Seattle Seahawks, you want to cry at Sorry, quiet, if I can I want say to cry it too. If you want to quiet the Superdome crowd, running the ball, being being successful, running the ball between the tackles, ramming it down their throat, so to speak, that's how the Rams can win this game is if that combination of Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson can do what they did against the Cowboys. Death by a thousand carries. I mean, in, in C.J. Anderson, I'd be interested. I was watching the game last weekend, and I'm not, I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way, but when I was watching him, I mean, did that not remind you of Jerome Bettis oh like back gosh. in the day? Like even the thirty-five to thirty-six yeah. and all that. I mean, like, yeah. well, the, and they were they were wearing the blue and gold, you know, yeah. that, that the kind of the the old style yeah, uh, it, uniform there. And the other thing too is that I, I I'll be honest with you, I wasn't following the C.J. Anderson saga very closely this year. Yeah. I know Denver made a decision to move on. I cannot explain to you how that guy in the prime of his career gets cut twice in one season. <laughs> But here he is. He ends up in the lap with the Rams, and he looked explosive. I mean, they gave him some really good lanes to work with. But, man, especially with Todd Gurley working through a couple things, that was the perfect complement in that matchup against the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds crazy to say with the types of numbers and the points and everything that the Rams have put up in this game. But if 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 the Saints can't do something against that running game, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the Rams could completely control it at the line of scrimmage. That's what New Orleans has to has to guard against. They have to make sure that those running backs don't get going like that. And and 
and you know put the game and put the game in Goff's hands and let their pass rush get after him. Yeah, and I'm just trying to look here. Yeah, they ended up finishing second to the Bears in in run defense this past year. The Saints did. So seeing how they manage that, that you're right. That's going to be the probably yeah. objective number one going into the Superdome. Yeah. Well, it'll be an interesting uh, another interesting weekend of football. But uh, for now, we're going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. When there's more news to talk about, we'll be back with another episode. But in the meantime. You can follow him on Twitter at West Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.